service-oriented evangelism. We do a lot of that here at Crossroads where we believe that it's God's will that we make this world a better place. But we don't just make the world a better place because we want the world to be a better place. We make the world a better place because we want to tell people that Jesus made the world amazing and he's redeeming it. And so when you self-sacrificially serve for the greater good of humanity, that will open up an opportunity to tell people why you do it. Serving other people is an excellent way to share the gospel. In today's message, Pastor Daniel will share how sacrificial acts of service have the potential to spark conversations you might not have otherwise had. People are naturally curious when someone goes out of their way to do something good, as most of the world tends to keep it themselves. Be Jesus' hands and feet to your neighbors. Tell them who you serve when they ask. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 28 as he continues his message, Strategies and Tactics. Here's some strategies and tactics. First, you can drag people to church. I'm not kidding, it's a great strategy. Because here's the deal. If you go to a a good church, and I pray that those of you here feel like you do, you know, the pastors there will proclaim Jesus, proclaim the word of God, and give people an opportunity to respond to that. To me, that's what a good church does. The Bible is open, the scriptures are taught, Jesus is lifted up, and people are given an opportunity to respond. And so dragging people to church is a great strategy for evangelism if you go to a church where Jesus has spoken about, the word is taught, and people are given an opportunity to respond. Because you know if you drag them to church with you, they're going to have an opportunity to receive the gospel. And so I remember when I first gave my life to Jesus, I dragged everyone I knew to church with me. Because I didn't know how to share the gospel, and I was learning as I was at church, but I knew if I brought them to church... The pastor would do it, you know? And so in some ways, and, and we've said it here, that, that we're all called to evangelism, but we have promised you here at Crossroads that if you engage with the people around you, your coworkers and your neighbors and your friends, people at the, at the ball field or wherever you meet people, right? And you invite them to come to Crossroads, that we promise to proclaim the gospel here and persuade people to believe it. So if you engage and invite people, every single time someone is here at Crossroads, they will hear the gospel will be proclaimed and people will be persuaded to believe it. Now, we can't make anyone believe it, but that's a promise that we make. So I think dragging people to church is a great strategy, right? Because the beauty is, is if you, and, and I say drag people to church with my tongue firmly implanted in my cheek, but how many of you got dragged to church before? So it works, you know, it works. And so, and listen, I have to drag my kids to the dentist, but they do need to get their teeth cleaned. You know what I mean? And so I have to drag my kids to school, but they do need to learn. And so sometimes it's not a bad thing to drag. And if you're here tonight and you got dragged to church, I want you to look at the person next to you and say, thanks so much. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. But the reason someone dragged you here is because they love you and they want God's best for your life. And even if you don't agree with what they believe in, at least they love you enough to care about you enough to say, come on, just come check this out. So dragging people to church. Second, another strategy is you can preach the law. 
Let me explain this to you. Some people call this the Ten Commandments approach. This has been made really popular more recently by uh, Ray Comfort, if you've ever watched it. And the idea of this is is you're engaging people based on the law, right? And so the idea would go something like this. How many times have you heard someone say, well, I'm a good person, right? When you talk to people, I am a good person. So right there you say, oh, you're a good person, eh? And so you start preaching the law. You said, okay, so um, have you ever murdered anybody, right? Because that's one of the Ten Commandments, and they say, no, no, I never murdered anyone. Well, have you ever hated anybody in your life? Well, sure. Well, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, that makes you a murderer because you've murdered him in your heart. Have you ever committed adultery? Committed adultery? I'm not even married. Right? No, I've never committed adultery. Well, have you ever lusted after somebody? Well, yeah, everybody has. Well, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 said that if you've lusted, then you've committed adultery in your heart. Have you ever stolen anything? No, no, I never stole anything. You mean you never like took a pen from your job? You never kind of fudge something on your tax return? Well, yeah, everybody does that. Well, listen, I asked you three questions. We found out you're a lying, stealing murderer. (laughs) It's a pretty good strategy, isn't it? Because like everybody falls at some point in the law. And so you're pressing again. That's a good one, isn't it? You can see you can have a lot of fun with that with people. And so, but what you're doing is you're using the standard of the law, that righteous requirement of the law. And and when someone says, I'm a good person, you say, well, are you really? You know, and the problem with that question, are you really, is that the Bible says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you ask enough questions, everybody is bound to fail and have failed in some ways. And then, of course, you might say, well, so Pastor Daniel, if we're doing strategies and tactics, what happens if you get all the way to the end and then somebody says, well, I've answered every question. I've never done anything wrong. And then you say, well, you know what the problem is? Is that you're prideful and deceived because the Bible says that you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So either way, you have an avenue in there. So preaching the law, it's a great strategy and tactic. Now, I just, you know, all these things on here, I've tried in different ways. So I have experience with all these things and I've I love seeing what works. And so here's another one. I call this, you got to throw the bomb. Throw the bomb. You never heard this one before, right? So part of my personality, I had a friend tell me, Daniel, you're like a grenade thrower. Where what I do is like, you know, and I've never thrown a grenade before, but what I've been told is you pull pull the pin and you lob the thing in there and then you watch everything explode. And so my personality, I kind of enjoy that kind of thing. So Throwing the bomb is being like, you know, when someone's just like, well, you know, so what, you know, why should I believe in Jesus? Well, if you don't, you're going to hell. That's throwing a bomb in the middle of a room because there's going to be a response to that. But you can throw the bomb in, there's a million bombs to throw. You know what I mean? And so the idea is, is you say something deeply provocative and you see how things start to shake out. And In case you haven't noticed, Jesus loves the throw the bomb technique. When you read the Gospels, you realize all the time, Jesus has this amazing ability to say something where everyone's like, did he really say that? Like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no place with me? That's a throw the bomb technique. Because everyone's like, I'm not going to, that's disgusting. Right? But the idea about throwing the bomb is it's not just being provocative. The idea is I'm saying this to shake everything loose to get the ball rolling so that we can start a conversation. And it is a great strategy and tactic. So I'm throwing the bomb might not be for everybody, but it is a good one. Here's another one. You could tell your testimony. This is a very popular one. See, 
People can argue with you on points of theology, but it's very hard for someone to argue with you about your life. And so the ability to share your story has great weight when it comes to evangelism. Because guess what? Everybody has a story. Now, here's what I want to tell you about telling your testimony. The big problem with people sharing their testimony is they really just want to talk about themselves and not about Jesus, which isn't a testimony. That is a bragamony. Okay? So a lot of times what people do is they just want to talk about themselves because we're self-centered and narcissistic. And so we actually don't ever talk about Jesus. We just tell all of our stories. And so we want to make sure that we're, if we're telling our story, we're putting Jesus at the center of it. So I always tell people there are three parts to a good testimony. First, how God prepared you to trust in Jesus. That's what I would call your before Jesus days, your BC days. Second, how you came to know Jesus, how God intervened in your life. And that's the climax of the turning point of your story. And then three, how trusting in Jesus has changed your life, right? So in doing it that way, what you're doing is you're keeping the message on Jesus and not yourself. Now, another big problem, and because we're doing strategies and tactics that I want to uh, dissuade you from, is those of you who have a sordid past, you tell your story where really what you're doing is you're glorifying your days of rebellion, Right, And if you've ever been in a room where people are telling their testimony, someone goes up there and says, oh, well, you know, before Jesus, I did this, you know, and this, 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 and then before you know, the next person, oh, well, let me tell you what I did. You know, and, and it's, like, it's like a race to see who was more pagan before Jesus entered their life. And really what goes on is that doesn't glorify the Lord at all, and that doesn't inspire anyone to believe in Jesus. Everyone just realizes that you were a lousy person. You know, and so evangelism is not how lousy am I, it's how good is Jesus. So first, how did God prepare you to receive Jesus? What was going on in your world? I, you have a tendency to talk about the things that you were doing, but in the ways that they would left you feeling empty, right? And then how did Jesus intervene in your life? What happened that had you put your faith and trust in Jesus? And then finally, how has trusting in Jesus transformed and changed your life. And I really think a strong testimony is really on the, the end of that story, how Jesus has changed your life. Because the people you're talking to, especially if they're people you know, they've watched it. They've seen some of these changes. But you want to make sure that they realize that, it's, that Jesus is doing a transformational work. So don't be scared to tell your story. I tell people all the time, one of the keys is learning how to own the life that you've lived so far. And really, when you, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can own your life because Jesus has covered it with his blood and his grace. And so part of, like, you can't pretend like you weren't there. I mean, you can, but it's not realistic. But when you say, I was there, right? But God met me in this way, and now he's got me heading in this direction. It's very, very powerful. It's very, very powerful. So don't be afraid. It's a great, it's a great strategy or tactic to share the good news. Here's another one. Handing people a track, a scripture card, or a Bible. It's kind of old school, right? But it still works. You know what's amazing? Here in America, if you ever try to give people tracks, right, normally they won't take it, right? But when I've been in Central America and South America, you hand somebody a track, they sit down and read it. It's like the coolest thing. I remember when I was in Peru, and I remember like, we're going to give out tracks. I'm like, nobody reads a track. They're like, no, no, you've never been here. Really, we're standing in this park, some people playing music. We're like, hey, you know, and I didn't know, all I knew how to say in, in Spanish was Dios te bendiga, which means God bless you. You know, they taught me that one line, like, just say that over and over again, you'll be great. 
you know? And as I went, I learned a couple other one-liners that, you know, made me sound real spiritual when I was speaking Spanish, you know? But you'd hand someone a track, you know what they do? You sit down and start reading it. I'm like, no way. And they're like, yeah, it's like, they're checking it out. And I'm like, so cool. So don't neglect something as simple as handing somebody a scripture card, you know, giving someone a Bible. I remember when I got saved, I bought a Bible for everyone in my family. And I just wrote it, I love you, you should read this. A little heart deep, you know. And so, and what's funny is, they go to my, my family's house and they still have that Bible. I don't think the binding has ever been cracked on it. But it's there, you know what I mean? God bless my grandma, you know. She's got it like on her countertop. She's got little ribbons in it and stuff. It's, it's sweet, you know. But it's like, don't be ashamed to give somebody something, a little scripture card. You know, I had a friend who used to do this a lot. Um, this gal, she was just really, um, you know, just really thoughtful. And when something was going on with someone's life, she would search the scriptures for a scripture. And then she would make a little card and it would be, it, would, it was kind of, it wasn't like overly done, but it was, it was nice. And she said, you know, I've been thinking about what you've been going through. And, you know, this is something that's really blessed me as I've prayed for you. And it's just a scripture, just one verse done very nicely. And it was amazing because I remember when I got the first one of those, it's like I put that thing on my mirror because it was just, it was like, it was, it was thoughtful. You know, how like we live in a day and age of text messages and things, but when you get an actual like physical card, how it, you know, a handwritten card, you're like, wow. You know, so don't neglect when someone's walking through life and you're on that journey with them and you say, I'm going to share a scripture with you. A scripture that is relevant, or, or as you're praying for someone, if God shares with you a scripture and you, and you pass that thing along to them, that can do something because before you know it, you start ruminating on those scriptures. Even if they're not a believer, you know, it's like they're going to receive the thoughtfulness from you. So don't neglect those things. So handing out a track, a scripture card or Bible, super good. Another strategy what we can call service-oriented evangelism. We do a lot of that here at Crossroads where we believe that it's God's will that we make this world a better place. But we don't just make the world a better place because we want the world to be a better place. We make the world a better place because we want to tell people that Jesus made the world amazing and he's redeeming it. And so when you self-sacrificially serve for the greater good of humanity, that will open up an opportunity to tell people why you do it. And if you're here at Crossroads, you see, we do a lot of this kind of stuff. Why? Because we really believe that God, he has redeemed our lives, and he wants us to be transformational agents. So we're not just content just to worship in the sanctuary and study the word, but we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. So whether we're working with refugees or foster care, whether we're helping kids who are on the margins, whether we're trying to get people clean water, whether we're trying to eradicate malaria whether we're doing a shoe drive. I mean, if you've been around here for the last year, we've had tons of these things. And what's amazing is, is we're serving our world and our community at its places of pain in the name of Jesus, but it always opens up opportunities for us to share the hope that's within us. So like when we serve with the public school system, we're not allowed to go and just say, okay, you know, give them an altar call. We're not allowed to do that, but we are wanting to bless the students and the faculties and the administrators in these schools. And then on the side, they start talking. So, so we really love that you guys do this. Why do you do this? And then someone will say, well, listen, we do this because we believe that Jesus is real. And we believe that we're supposed to be simply responding to Jesus. And, and so we start thinking about what it's like for children 
who their parents have to decide if they're going to buy food or notebooks, right? And we hope that they would buy food, so we're going to buy the notebooks. You know what I mean? It's like we say, we want to treat others as we want to be treated. So when we look at the world that we live in, we say, I'm not in that situation, but they are. And if I was in that situation, how would I want to be treated? And then we proactively treat people that way. But we do that because of our faith in Jesus. And I really truly believe that the people of God should be the most charitable, generous people in the world. You know, in some ways, it actually shows the the power of the gospel. I mean, you you read about it in Acts chapter 2, when the early church was filled with the Holy Spirit. There was no legislation. When somebody had a need, people who had excess would sell their things to provide for those who were in need. It wasn't by mandate. They did it because they wanted to. And it was a sign to show the power of the gospel. Anytime, and it's really popular, and and it has been popular for people who don't believe in God, who are atheists, to say, religion ruins everything. And I start laughing. I'm like, find me one hospital before the last 40 years when healthcare became a capitalistic moneymaker that was started by someone who wasn't religious. Like, when was the last time you saw an atheist hospital? It's like... Go to any major city and look at the names on all the hospitals. They're all religious. Why? Because people who believe in God see people in pain. And even when you can't make money, you just want to help. In the, in the early church, when different plagues hit, Christians would stay and give up their lives and serve people who were dying at their own risk because if I was in that situation, how would I want someone to be treated? See, it, it, that mandate of the, what we call the golden rule, the ethics of Jesus, overrides all the other concerns. And so what has gone on, really, if you look at the kind of the flow of Christianity over the years, the church that really believed in preaching the gospel for a long time kind of fleed from self-sacrificial service. They called it the social gospel. And, and it was really because it was being driven by people who didn't really believe the gospel. So because we're not going to preach the gospel, we're going to help people. But now, as time has transpired, now we do both. We don't believe you, can do, you should do one or the other. We do both. We preach the gospel with words, and we also live out all the ramifications of the gospel. Right? And it's amazing. Uh, when I was in college, I'll never forget, I wasn't a Christian when I was in college. I remember there was, during finals time, there were these kids who came by. They were all very quite happy. And they said, hey, can we take your garbage out? I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, you know, we just got some garbage, but I just want to take your garbage out. I'm like, uh, no. You know, it was totally weird. But they were Christians and they were like, they were just trying to help. Now, I was totally put off by that. I'm like, what kind of people knock on your door and ask for your garbage? Like, it was really odd for me. But I got it later, you know, later I'm like, oh, they were just trying to be a blessing. You know, but that was kind of weird. But what's interesting is one of the first times I ever knew that someone was a Christian was actually one of my psych adjunct professors at Rutgers. I remember he was, there's something unique about the guy, but I'll never forget. It was midterms and we all come in and he's like, so it's midterms. Everyone's stressed out. I was like, yeah, you know, he's like, well, I know you guys are stressed out. So I want to, I want I want to do something for you. And he's like, I'm not a singer, but I'm going to sing you a song. And he's like, I'm going to sing you a song because I'm a terrible singer. But I figure my singing is so bad, it's going to make you laugh. And that will be helpful. And he pulled out his guitar. He sang like a John Lennon song. And he was awful. But we all laughed. 
you know? But it was like, he was one of the first guys to challenge me to read the gospel, the Bible. Because I, I overslept an exam. I went to his office hours to try and get it, let me retake an exam. And he asked me questions about my life. And he ended up challenging me to read the, the Bible. So doing little acts of self-sacrificial service, service-oriented things, a conspiracy of kindness in a world that isn't kind is very, very powerful. So each one of you choosing to take an extra moment and stopping, and if you're going to go to the, to the coffee you know, area and you scream, hey, you want a cup of coffee? You know, you're just stopping and somebody, you know, somebody's struggling out of the grocery store, you know, and you say, hey, you know, can I help you in any way? You see someone who's walking and you stop and you see someone who looks upset and you say, hey, listen, you know, you just seem upset. Is, are you okay? Is there anything I can do? Those little things in a world where people are disconnected, they don't notice each other, where everybody's got their face in their phone and their earbuds in, just being kind and thoughtful is a huge witness to the world. You know, and so service oriented evangelism, taking opportunities to see someone in need and just simply seek to help in some way. So it's a great strategy and tactics. Next, using contemporary issues or movies. I like to call this the jump off point. So again, when I was in college, there was a, a guy that I knew who was a Christian. This is what he would do when uh, movies would come out. Uh, at that point, it was on VHS. For those of you who don't know what that is, that was long before iTunes and, and all this stuff. It was like this big plastic thing with this tape and stuff. And then when a movie would come out, he would always buy it. And he'd say, hey, we're, we're gonna, that movie just came on out. It's a new release. Or he'd go to Blockbuster. That was a story. Rent these VHS things. So for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, it's retro. It'll come back in about 15 years. So this guy, every time a new movie would come out, he'd get it. And he'd invite everyone over his house. And, he, and he'd have like popcorn and pizza and snacks. We watched a movie. And then we'd talk about the movie. And what was really cool is that he, he was a Christian, but his goal in watching the movie was to, as he watched the movie, what are the spiritual themes in here that are fascinating? What, what, you know, and how do we, in the midst of talking about the movie, how would he move us around to kind of talk a little bit about things that were a little deeper than on the surface? And when you start to use that as a jump-off point, it's actually very, very easy, isn't it? Because every movie has a storyline, and, and now we have movies with multiple storylines. You look at what's going on in the world today. If you're willing to not worry about politics primarily, but use the political discussions to try and talk about the heart of Jesus, you have ample, like, people talk about what's going on. Jesus is Conversations about Jesus can come out of anywhere and anything. You could be discussing something as simple as a new movie or an event that happened in another part of the world, and it can shift to a talk about hope in Jesus. Today, Pastor Daniel told you how easy it is to fit evangelism into ordinary life moments. You don't have to overcomplicate the gospel message. Just let Jesus lead your conversations. If you've enjoyed Pastor Daniel's teaching today on Jesus is Real Radio, we'd like to invite you to join us at Crossroads Community Church for our Sunday services at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., or 12 p.m. If you can't come in person, you can still be part of our vital congregation by tuning in to our live stream. Find out more at CrossroadsChurch.net. That's CrossroadsChurch.net. 
Hi friends, Pastor Daniel here. I'd love for you to be part of the Crossroads Community Church family, but I understand some of our listeners can't make it to the actual church building. If that's you, come join us online. We live stream our Sunday morning services at crossroadschurch.net. So grab a cup of coffee and join us wherever you are for our time of worship and teaching. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel wraps up this series on evangelism with some final tips for spreading the good news of Jesus' grace. He'll remind you again that it doesn't have to be a huge event. Evangelism is easily worked into everyday situations. Pastor Daniel will talk about how word choice can make someone think, and how a t-shirt or bumper sticker has the potential to lead people to Christ. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called The Gift. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.